Praise Jesus. I was trying to filibuster to give everybody a chance to come in. So <laughs> this is, normally we have, the service is, is a little more structured. And we've never done this before, but it's going to be fun. How many of you are excited about what God's going to do? So my goal here, I'm going to teach you about worship, and it's going to be really good. And we're going we're gonna, to uh, go after worship in, in just a little bit. We're going to love on Jesus. And, Amen. Um, I did this experiment last week. How many of you are here for the experiment? And I just said, uh, I believe that the presence of God is going to touch and heal people while I preach. And um, one lady stood up and God touched her and she was immediately healed of some kind of stomach um, problem. And then two, yeah, and then, and then two other people stood up and it wasn't readily apparent uh, what, it was apparent God was touching them, but they didn't know that they had a physical problem. But um, anyway, the one gal came down afterwards, and God was still touching her. And so I prayed for her, and I didn't know what happened, but it was good. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes things happen. It's important that we have things happen in our lives that are sort of beyond our understanding. For a while, I, I, I understood everything in the Bible and <laughs> in the kingdom. And then I met God, and I realized that he was a lot bigger than the boxes I had created for him. And so it's, it's important, actually, that we have things go on that are, that are beyond our understanding. And, and, you know, when things, like one time I was praying for this lady, and I prayed for a whole bunch, probably like 100 people. And, and anyway, afterwards, the lady came up to me, and she's like, ever since you prayed for me, my mouth is on fire. She's like, why is that? And I said, is your mouth, do you have a physical problem in your mouth? And she's like, no. And I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> and if, I, if I'd have asked for, for a prophetic word or something, got some wisdom, I might, have, I might have said, well, I think God's anointing you to preach or something like that. But, but the reality is I didn't know. And, and, you know, things happen between you and God, and I, I've learned to kind of stop interjecting myself. Uh, so I'm, I'm just happy for God to do whatever he wants to do. And we just try to give him leave to do that. So we're not going to do this every Sunday, but I just think while I'm teaching this about the presence of God, that it's, it's, I don't know, it just fascinates me and it worked last week. So we're going to try it again this week. So here's, here's my invitation. Okay. And I want to up the ante just a little bit. Psalm 104 talks about, it says he makes his, his uh, angels win, or his flames, his ministers, excuse me, he makes his angels winds, his ministers flames of fire. The implication is that the angelic realm sometimes manifests itself as wind and fire. So, if, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray that God will touch you, or that angels will touch you. And the way you may know that's happening is if, if you feel in your body some kind of heat or, you know, if, if there's a supernatural wind or something that you feel happen. Now, it might be the air conditioning, okay? So, so I'm, not looking, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not looking for anybody to make anything up or, or anything like that, okay? I'm looking, I'm looking for the authentic. Uh, but, but the authentic happened last week, and, yeah. and so... I don't see any reason why it won't this week. So I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to pray this week, 
And then I'm just going to teach. And so here's what I'd like you to do. Don't feel like you're interrupting me. If you feel God touch you, if you feel electricity, heat, wind, uh, any kind of phenomena in your body, um, I just want you to, to stand up as an act of faith. And a lot of times when you do that, God will increase what he's doing. I'll bless you. And then you just sit back down and then we'll see what happens. Does that sound okay? Yes. And, and so um, no pressure again, but I'm going to pray. And then if, if that happens to you, then just, just stand up. Okay? Father, we thank you for your presence here. Holy Spirit, let your glory come even right now and during the message. And Father, I just ask that your angels would be released, that we would be like Jacob's ladder and that, that angels would, would descend and minister to people and bring healing and breakthrough and, and wisdom and revelation. And we thank you for that in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Okay. If you have a Bible, open up to Psalm, excuse me, open up to Esther chapter 4. We'll get there in, in a little bit. Um, what we're talking about is worship. And I've been dealing a lot with the tabernacle of David and then the temple. And I've made this point that worship, it's like it builds a house for God. It's like it, it reaches into the spirit realm and it, and it erects a building that the presence of God then comes and dwells in. In fact, Psalm 22, verse 3, tells us this. It says that uh, God inhabits the praises of Israel, or God inhabits the praises of His people. And it's our desire here uh, as a church and then as individuals to build a house that, that God dwells in. I want my lifestyle to be a, a lifestyle of worship because I want the presence of God to rest on me and bless me certainly, but, but moreover you and those around me. What I stressed last week, bless you in the name of Jesus. What I stressed last week <coughs> was that there is a temporary structure that David built, and there is a permanent structure. And who got to build the permanent one? Solomon. Solomon. What that teaches us, the Bible says that Solomon was a man of rest. Mm -hmm. David was a man of blood. David built things through his own blood. Solomon built things through inheritance. If your blood pays for it, your blood has to maintain it. If Jesus' blood pays for it, His blood will maintain it. What that means is that I, in Christ, I actually I have to think like a generationally wealthy person. There are people alive on the planet that there is so much wealth built up over generations that it's actually impossible for them to go broke. It's impossible. They, they can spend all the money they want to. They can, they can make all kinds of terrible mistakes with their money. And they've just got so much and so many investments that, that they can't go broke. That's a picture of what it is to be in line of generational blessing. The Bible actually says that you're the inheritor of the blessings of Abraham. 
That means that there is blessing stretching back generations to our father Abraham. And there's a momentum behind that thing. And if you'll start to live and think this way and not, not see yourself as, as uh, a, you know, a first-generation Christian, even if you are a first-generation Christian, your, your faith heritage dates back to Abraham. And moreover, it dates back to Jesus himself. And so what this means is that, that I, I don't build from a place of insecurity and poverty. I don't, I don't build because if I don't get everything right, then my world's going to fall apart. You know, I, I had to get to a place in my heart. I, I've told you this before, but before God would, would trust me to be a pastor, he brought me to a place where I didn't need to be a pastor. For a while, I, I needed to do it because it was part of my identity. Right. I thought that was what made me special. <laughs> but that's not what makes me special. <laughs> what makes me special is I'm a son of the king. I can feel the anointing on that. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote this because I thought it was was powerful. You know, if you're a son of the king, there's honor and prestige that follows you. Yes. <laughs> but it's not because of who you are. It's because of who dad is. And, and we spend most of our lives trying to find some sort of validation in things that we do. And if we'll quit that and we'll find rest and validation in our identity as sons then you can build things that will last forever. Amen. So I really believe you don't have enough failure in you to destroy the plan of God for your life. I mean, what do you think? You're going to bankrupt heaven? That's what you're going to do, right? You're going to screw up so bad that God doesn't have a way to fix it. You know, I mean, I mean, there was a guy that he, he, he was a thief and he wasted his whole life, right? Yeah. But then at the last moment, he's on the cross next to Jesus and he cries out for mercy. And Jesus says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Do you know that guy's fulfilling his eternal destiny? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He screwed up literally his whole life until the last moment. And what we think is, man, he messed up his whole life. He's been alive for thousands of years now. He screwed up like 0.1% of his life. <laughs> Jesus is going to win. I'm telling you what. So now what I want to deal with today in the next couple of weeks is, is the question, why does worship build a house of God? If I know that, I'll be inspired to do it more. And that is a better way of saying it is, why does worship or a lifestyle of worship release the presence of God to bless me and those around me? To understand that, you've got to really understand what worship is. The word worship in both Testaments, it basically means to bow and to make obeisance. It means, it means to position, position yourself humbly in reverence before someone who's greater than you. It's a reverential, loving, honoring position, recognizing two things at once. 
my weakness and his strength, my imperfection and his perfection, my inability to save myself and his ultimate ability to save me and rescue me. Whatever you worship, you are essentially making your master. That's what worship means. It means to bow down. So if I'm, if I'm bowing, I'm saying, you're in charge of me. This is why worshiping idols and worshiping anything other than Jesus is, is terrible because it's making something other than God your God. It is, in a sense, a perversion of reality. Because God is God. Money isn't God. People aren't God. My pain isn't God. God is God. And when I worship something other than my Father, I'm, I'm denying a fundamental reality about the world. And it's hard to be successful in life denying reality. Thank you for the amen. <laughs> when we sin, we're, we're worshiping something other than God. And so when you're bowing to something other than God, you actually release that into, into your life and into the lives of those around you to, to harm you. Worshiping idols, worshiping something other than God, it releases demonic forces into the world and into your life to, to bring harm to you. Now, don't stress out about it because the exact opposite is also true. If you'll worship God, it will release His presence and His goodness into your life to bless you and fix all the things that the devil has messed up. John 10.10 says that the thief, the devil, has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that we might have life and that more abundantly. When we worship God, we actually release the presence of God to influence every part of our lives. So I want you to think about it this way. Imagine that there's a king and he's trying to come into a room and there's a, there's a doorway right here. How do you properly usher a king into the room? Imagine the door's your heart, okay? What you, what you do is you open the door and you bow. Yes. Yeah. It's all one motion. It's I open the door and I bow. Now, as I do that, I usher the king into the room. Amen. Now, I mean, he's already here. We, we understand that, right? Okay, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that he's not here. What I'm saying is, is that, that there's, there can be a manifestation of his presence where he, he uh, encounters us in a, in a profound and sometimes tangible and physical way, like he was doing with our sister over here. On the back, letter E. God wants us to worship him, but it's not because he's some kind of narcissist. I think sometimes we, I don't know if we think that about God, but, but uh, people that aren't into the whole Jesus thing will sometimes accuse uh, God of, of, you know, why does he need people to worship him? God doesn't need you to worship him. He's not in heaven wringing his hands thinking, oh man, I sure hope, you know. I'm going, to, I'm going to really feel bad about myself if, if these people don't worship me. No, God's fine. Mm -hmm. yeah. what, the reason God wants you to worship Him is because you always become like whatever you worship. 
And he's a good father. Yes. And good fathers want the best for their kids, yes. which means the best thing for you is to be like God. Amen. And if you'll worship him, you'll become like him. But if you worship something else, you'll become like that. I want to talk to you about three reasons this whole process of bowing ushers the presence of God into our lives. I'm only going to cover one today. I was going to do all three, but it was too much. So I'll do the next two next week um, or maybe the next two weeks. But I want, to, I want to clearly explain this concept to you that worship it's us coming low and humbling ourselves before the Lord. Does that make sense to everybody? Yep. And, and everybody tends to think that, that that's great. We love to celebrate people that humble themselves. Everybody with, with me? We're, we're in a, a self-promoting culture. I, I get that. And when we see somebody who's genuinely humble and isn't trying to, to show off and all this... We honor that. We get excited about it. But we have a problem, which is that James 4.10 says that you're to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that what will happen? He'll exalt you. What's this mean? It means I come humbly into the presence of God, I come low. I come on the ground. I come with a, with a revelation of my own inadequacy, my weakness, my failure, and I come low. But I don't get to stay there. <laughs> the, the gospel, I'll show you this in multiple scriptures, it actually requires my exaltation. It does. He says, you're going to humble yourself so that it's safe for me to exalt you. Because this was always your destiny. You're going to learn to come low. You're going to learn to not have a big head. You're going to learn not to think you're, you're amazing so I can make you amazing. This is what he says. It's, it's actually the picture of Esther. There's a, a profound picture of this in the Old Testament. So we're going to read this now. I told you we'd get there. Some of you didn't believe me. <laughs> Esther 4, verse 16. If you know the story of Esther, there's this guy named Haman that hates uh, Mordecai, Esther's uncle. And he, he wants to uh, destroy all the Jews. And he makes this proclamation that the, the king signs off on that on a certain day it's okay to murder all the, all the Jews. And this is a terrible situation. And uh, Mordecai goes to Esther and says, how do you know whether or not God may have put you in the palace to deal with this specific issue? You have this royal position. Maybe God put you there to save the nation of Israel. Maybe God... 
made you his kid, maybe God changed your nature so that you could be an answer to a problem down here on the earth. But how does that work? So Esther, she's supposed to go talk to the king to get clemency, to try to, to, try to save her people. But I want you to read verse 16 here. She, she says to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews that are present and fast for me, and don't eat, dr eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. What's this mean? Even though she's the queen, the gap between her and the king is so great that she can't legally go in and see him anytime she wants. Now, I know that's messed up, and I know marriage isn't supposed to be that way, okay? But, <laughs> but this is the Old Testament, and, and it was an ungodly environment. But it prophesies something to us. Which is, there is a reality. God is way above us. Apart from Jesus, I don't have a right to go see him. Now, I'm not apart from Jesus, so I can go see him anytime I want to. But it is important for me to understand that. She can't go in there legally. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the uh, side there. And the king sat on the royal throne in the royal house up against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight, and he held out the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. What does Esther do? She comes into the room humbly, and she waits at the back. Humbly. She doesn't have a right to be there. She's literally taking her life in her hands. Because if the king decides that, that she shouldn't have done this, he'll have her killed. It's a brutal environment. So she goes in there, and he holds out this scepter, and she comes and touches it. She bows. And he gives her favor. But now, verse 3. Then said the king unto her, What will you, Queen Esther? What is your request? It will be given unto you, even unto half the kingdom. Here's the picture. You come low in worship into the throne of the king. And then you turn around and all of a sudden she has authority over half the kingdom. God is looking for people that will make their lives about humility and worship so that he can trust them to elevate them to positions of influence to bless and serve their, their family, their city, their nation. Etc. When you, when you come low and your promotion comes from God, you, you realize something, which is, I didn't do this. Yes. And I'm not some great person. And so the influence and the authority that I have, it exists so that I can serve those people under me. Yes. If I get somewhere through self-promotion and things like this, 
what happens is I will be deceived and I will believe that that position of authority is there to benefit me. That's not how God does things. Why does worship release the presence of God? It's because when you worship, it qualifies you for positions of authority that you'll then use to serve other people. I'm telling you, God's looking for people. God's looking for worshipers. The Bible says he's, he's seeking such to worship him. This is in John 4. He's seeking the humble so that he can exalt them. Well, let's look at another scripture that teaches the same principle. Luke 7. This is the story of uh, Mary anointing Jesus. Luke seven forty four. At the end there, Jesus comes into the house of Simon the leper, a Pharisee. And um, actually, start up at uh, what did I put in the notes? Start at verse thirty six. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went down to the Pharisee's house and sat down at meat. And behold, a woman of the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the meal with the Pharisees, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears and did wipe them. Um, sorry, wiped them with her hair and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him, saw it, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this, was, this lady was, and that she's a sinner. Okay, here's a phenomenal thing to think about this. Later on, I bless you in the name of Jesus. Later on, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. I bless you in the name of Jesus, more in Jesus' name. So, help me, Jesus. All right. Mary comes and she, she worships Jesus by pouring this expensive perfume on him, right? The Bible says our worship's like incense. It's like perfume. It gets, it gets in his hair comes down on his, on his beard, on his chest, on his clothes. In the other accounts, this, this happens right before his crucifixion. That stuff is, is expensive. It's, it's really powerful perfume. It's very likely that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, I bless you in Jesus' name, that when Jesus, I bless you in Jesus' name, it's very likely that when he was hanging on the cross, when his head would bow in pain, that he would smell the worship. Now, we've got to get this picture. What's worship? It, it, it means, in the Greek, it's this picture of like, like a, a dog licking the hand of his master. And this seems to 
you know, think, well, it sort of, it sort of debases us or something. And, and in, in a sense, it does, because it's acknowledging my weakness. But I, I want you to, to, to think about this concept here. Mary is, is worshiping Jesus, and she's pouring this fragrance on him, and Jesus allows her to do this. Simon says, if he knew who she was, he'd never allow this. Because Simon feared that being worshipped by a sinner would defile Jesus. In the Old Testament, if you touched a leper, you were unclean. But when Jesus touches a leper, they're healed. Understand this. When you in your sinfulness and frailty worship Jesus, it doesn't defile him. It heals you. <laughs> it, it, it exalts you. It exalts you. In fact, in fact, it doesn't get rid of his holiness. It makes you holy. And he says this. In the interest of time, I won't, I won't go there. I bless you in the name of Jesus, brother. More Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He says this. He says, your sins are forgiven you. You're holy. Wherever Jesus is, it's holy ground. And she came and worshipped, and it didn't defile Jesus. It made her holy. Man, that's really, that's really encouraging. If my musicians can come up here, I think we're almost to a breaking point here where you guys just want me to be quiet and worship. But I want to make one last point. Let's, let's look at Romans chapter 8 really quickly while they're coming. Romans chapter 8. We're going to read... Uh, Verses 16 through 19, it says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know what the Holy Spirit's saying to you? A lot of people are taught that what God is telling you is what a, what a rotten person you are. And how God doesn't like you very much. That's not what the Holy Spirit's saying. The primary thing he's saying is, you're a child of God. That he's bearing witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. And he says, if we're children, then heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. The earnest expectation of the creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. What's that mean? It just means this. The world's waiting for you to recognize and be who you are. Amen. There are people around you that are waiting for you to be great. For you to be awesome. Not because of your flesh or something you've accomplished, but be just because you're a son of the king. 
telling you, God is not intimidated by you being great. Somebody said, well, you'll steal his glory. Well, no, you won't, because John 17, 22 says that Jesus already gave you his glory. <laughs> you can't steal something which has been given to you. And moreover, how many of you have kids? How many of you know if your kid does something awesome, that doesn't steal your glory? <laughs> Let's all stand up. How many of you are ready to worship Jesus? I want to give you an open invitation. If you want to come down here and worship, if you want to come down here and bow before the throne, if you want to come down here and dance, I don't care, whatever you want to do. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to worship Jesus for a while. We're going to, we're going to dim the lights here in a minute so everybody will feel more comfortable. We're just going to go after Jesus. We're going to come low going to humble ourselves. We're going to understand grace. Jesus, Jesus. And from that place, I'm telling you, God, God Jesus, is going to exalt you. God Jesus. is going to exalt this church. God's going to make us a blessing, a shining and a radiant light to those around us. Holy Spirit, come. Father, let your glory come. Let your fire come. We worship you this morning. We worship you. We come low. We bow down. We honor you. 